Well, I invite you to open your Bibles uh, with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll be looking at the first three verses together this morning. And the main uh, point of this section, really the main command of this section, is to long for the milk of the Word. That's Peter's main thought in this section. I'll begin reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Again, it's my joy to read for you the Word of God, inerrant and inspired. So please listen in reverence and in faith. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. In the preceding context, Peter has told his readers that they are to fervently love one another from the heart. That is our greatest command in the Scripture. Love God, of course, priority. But love one another from the heart as well. He has told them that they are able to do that because they've been born again. Back in chapter 1, verse 23. They have purified their souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. Verse 23, for you've been born again not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. So they've been born again. The source of their new birth is that imperishable seed. And last week I kind of struggled in trying to explain what that imperishable seed is, but I think it's the new life that the Holy Spirit implants within our spiritually dead souls. That's the source of the new birth. The new life that comes in and causes us to be born again. The means of bringing that to pass is the ministry of the living and enduring Word of God in verse 23. So we are born again from the Spirit through the ministry of the Word of God. And our love for one another is rooted in our new birth. The ability to love one another is because we have been born again. So now what do we do? We're born again. We've had this incredible, miraculous grace given to us. So what's next? Well, it's just like any baby that is born, its job is to grow. And that's kind of the focus of Peter now in chapter 2. Peter will continue with the theme of the new birth. Developing the principle of growth that should occur as a result of being born again. And so Peter now in the first three verses will give his readers, his born again readers, two principles for spiritual growth. They've been born again. They're a child of God. Now they need to grow. How do they grow? Number one, they need to put off sin. 
And number two, they need to long for the pure milk of the Word. So that's where he's going to exhort his readers and he's exhorting us through the Spirit this morning as well. Well, Let's begin with the first principle that he gives for growing in our salvation. And that is we need to get rid of sin. So look again at verse verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So he begins with this notion of putting it aside. And literally, that word means to remove your clothes and lay them aside. It would be like when Saul was at the stoning of Stephen. He took his cloak off and he laid it aside. That's the same word. So we're to take something that's on us and we're to lay it aside. Now normally this word is used figuratively for laying aside sinful practices in our life. Now this occurs at conversion when we repent, we come to faith in Christ, we lay aside, we repent of our sin, but it's also an ongoing activity in the Christian life as well. And that's why he's addressing believers who are born again. You still need to put aside these sins. So as a, using the analogy of being born again, kind of like a new baby, this is the diaper changing phase. You know, there, there are garments on you, little baby, that you need to put off because you know what's packed inside of them. And that's kind of the idea here in sort of a metaphorical kind of way. There, there's stuff in our life that we need to lay aside. We need to get rid of. And, of course, we never outgrow that in a certain sense because He's speaking to believers who have walked with the Lord for a period of time, but they still need to lay aside these, these sins. Salvation certainly doesn't make us sinless. The enslaving power of sin and death are broken, but the principle of sin in the flesh is still there. The old man has been taken off his throne, but he still lurks in the shadows of our life. So how are we to put aside these sins? Well, we confess them to God as sin, and we remove them from us. We cast them from us. Like you would remove again a dirty diaper. You don't try to hide it by taping a clean diaper on the outside of a dirty diaper. That won't work. You don't try to dress it up, make it look better, just kind of cover it, hide it. That's not going to work. You don't try to disguise it by just sprinkling some talcum powder on it to to cover over the smell. That's not going to work. And you don't wait till tomorrow. Well, I'll I'll deal with it tomorrow. You need to deal with it now. You need to put it aside. You cast it from you is what Peter is saying. Jesus said the same thing. If your eye caused you to stumble, what do you do with it? You pluck it out. Not literally, but figuratively. You pluck it out and cast it from you. That's how you put aside the sin. You put distance between you and that sin. You don't let it come near. You put distance. You get away from it. You cast it away from you. Now what are the sins that he actually mentions that we are to 
to set aside or cast away from us. Well, all of these are listed here in the verse uh, 1. And all of them are really, if you think about it, they are sins that attack the virtue of love for one another. Again, that was the main commandment earlier that Peter gave us, love one another. So in order to do that, we're born again, is we need to attack the sins that attack and undermine love. And so he gives a list of five of them here. The first one is all malice. Malice is ill will towards other people, towards the brethren. Desires to see others fail or to lose or to be injured, that's malice. Malice is kind of a mean spirit, a vicious attitude. It's the opposite of love. Put it off. Cast it from you. Next is all deceit. Deceit is guile. It's cunning. It's deception. This word was originally used for the bait you put on a hook when you go fishing. The deceit is you're trying to lure in a fish to go for the bait, not realizing that there's a hook on the inside that will capture you and ultimately lead to your death. That's deception. So the deceit is like what Paul rebuked Elymas the magician for on the island of Cyprus for opposing the Gospel. And Paul said that he was full of all deceit and fraud and he called him, you son of the devil. Because deceit is really using Satan's tactics in terms of dealing with other people. Deceit aligns one with the devil. So rather, put on love. Put on honesty. Don't deceive others for gain. So set aside all deceit, all deception, all dishonesty. Next he says, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is being two-faced with other people. And the poster children for hypocrisy, of course, were the Pharisees in the New Testament. Christ blasted them over and over and over again for their hypocrisy, being two-faced. It's interesting, Paul also confronted Peter for his hypocrisy earlier in his life. Remember when he was at Antioch and he began to fear the Jewish brethren, and he withdrew from the Gentile brethren. And Paul had to confront him to his face because of his hypocrisy. So believers can fall prey to this, sadly. Hypocrisy conceals sinful motives behind a fake smile or a pious facade. That's what Ananias and Sapphira did to cloak their evil motives behind the outward pious appearances. And of course, God struck them down for that. Put aside all hypocrisy. Be sincere. Be genuine. Be honest again. Next he says, put aside envy. Envy is a feeling of displeasure when you hear of others' success or prosperity. You hear that someone else is advancing and you have that envy, that displeasure that is probably rooted in our own pride. Rather, we should acknowledge the sovereignty of God and their blessing. We should rejoice in their blessing. 
We should learn contentment in the things that God has given to us, but not envy other people. Certainly not envy the brethren. And then he says, put aside all slander. Slander would just be lying about others, running them down, assaulting their character, casting a cloud over their virtues, spreading falsehoods about them, slander, breaking the ninth commandment. Love finds the good in others. It avoids speaking what is false about others. Put aside slander. Watch your, watch your words. Now notice three times in this list the word all, and really all five of these are really encompassed under the notion of all aspects of each one of these sins you need to set aside. These sins are holdover from the old unregenerate nature. We're to keep putting them off as often as they show themselves. And we're to put it off quickly. Don't delay. When the Spirit of God convicts you, immediately put it off. It's like having a shirt, someone douses gasoline on you, and they light you on fire. How long will you delay in taking that garment off? Not very long. You're going to take it off as quick as lightning. And whenever the Spirit of God convicts us of sin, immediately deal with it. Don't delay with it. Don't let it just keep on growing and and begin to influence other areas of your life. Deal with it quickly. Don't allow them to linger. Remember that one little thief hiding in the house can unlock the door for many more to come in. Remember that one unclean spirit, when it's allowed to return into the home, can bring seven others with it more wicked than himself. Deal with it quickly. Cast those sins from you, Peter says. So that's the first principle of growth. We're born again. But we need to continually be monitoring our heart, our lives, dealing with sin as they come up. A hundred times a day if you need to. Because we still wrestle with the flesh. We're not glorified yet. And Peter says, if you want to grow, you got to keep dealing with these sins. Keep putting them off. Casting them off. The second principle that he gives is you need to be in the Word of God. You need to long for the Word. This is the, the second principle of spiritual growth. Notice what he says in verse 2. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow and respect the salvation. So this is kind of the put off and put on. You put off the sin, you put on the Word of God. Long for it, he says. Like a newborn babe. Now they've been born again, right? Back up in chapter 1, verse 23. Also in chapter 1, verse uh, 3. They've been born again. So now they need to to grow. But Peter uses this analogy of like a newborn babe. And the reference here in verse 2 to babies and milk is not a derogatory reference to them like it is in other places in Scripture. By referencing babies and milk, he's saying this should be the established pattern of even mature believers. Babies and milk in other contexts is negative. But not in this one. For example, if you look at... uh, Go back one. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Here it's a pejorative meaning, negative. They're not spiritual men, they're in the flesh, so they're infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. So here milk is is for the immature, it's the very basics of the faith. Not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. So Paul uses infants and milk in a more of a negative context. You see the same thing in the book of Hebrews. When the author says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have need for milk, not solid food. So again, he's, he's, he's basically admonishing them and rebuking them for their immaturity. They still need milk. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. So again, he uses it in a negative sense. But in other contexts, Milk and babies are good. It's a good pattern to imitate. For example, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, Do not be children in your thinking, there it's used in a negative sense, yet in evil be infants. So in this sense, yeah, being an infant is good in the area of being evil. Be, be, be an infant, be innocent. But in your thinking, be mature. But here, infants is something good. In Matthew 18.3, Jesus says, unless you are converted and become like children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And here he's talking probably just about children and their, uh, their characteristic of trusting and leaning, depending upon their parents. So in these places, being a babe is good so that even mature believers should have certain childlike qualities not the immaturity aspect of being a child but the innocence the dependence and in this passage the longing for the milk we should never outgrow the longing for the milk of the word of god that's what peter is emphasizing here So we should long for the milk of the Word. This is the main command in this passage. This is what Peter is exhorting his readers to do. Long for the milk of the Word. Now you may need to put off sin because sin will undermine your desire for the Scripture. You need to put off the sin. It will undermine your love for God and for, your, for one another. But you need to long for the pure milk of the Word of God. Now, I want to deal with a translation difference for those of you who have the ESV and I think the NIV. It reads it a little bit differently. It says like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. And it really doesn't tell you what the milk is. It says long for the pure spiritual milk. King James, New American Standard, says long for the pure milk of the Word. The Word of God. These two different translations are because of that Greek word at the bottom, logikos, and the way it's translated. The word itself has a certain 
a reference to that which is spiritual or reasonable. And that's why sometimes it's translated as spiritual milk. Uh, the word itself can also be translated as just word. The, the word literally, logikos, if you look at it, the first part of that word comes from the word logos, which means word. So basically, literally, this logikos means that which has the character and nature of the Word. So some people would translate that, well, that's spiritual. But I think really Word is a good translation because ultimately, Peter has the Word of God in mind. That is our spiritual milk is the Word of God. And I think even if you prefer the ESV, the spiritual milk Peter has in mind is the Word of God. I think the reason why that's the case is because that's been his emphasis so far in this context. In chapter 1, verse 22, we were converted through the Word, through the truth. In chapter 1, verse 23, we were born again through the Word of God. In verse 24, the Word of the Lord endures forever. And since milk is referring to the Scripture in other places, the even if you take the spiritual milk, I think Peter has the Word of God uh, ultimately in mind. So what is he exhorting us to do? He's exhorting us to long for spiritual milk, long for the Word of God, as a newborn baby does. So it seems clear that if the Word of God was the means of our conversion and the Word of God was the means of our being born again, that the Word of God is also the means of our growth. So I think that's the idea here. Yes, it's spiritual milk, it's reasonable milk, but it's the Word of God primarily uh, in view here. Peter also describes this as the pure Word of God. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word. The Word of God is pure. And that really has two meanings to, to the word pure. The first is that it's unadulterated, it's unmixed, it's uncontaminated. The milk of God's Word is uncontaminated. It is pure milk. So much of our food today has artificial colors and chemical preservatives, the residue of insecticides and parasites. What do you call it? Parasites or what's the other word? Pesticides. There you go. Uh, fertilizers, growth hormones. I mean, you eat this stuff and it's contaminated by all this stuff in the soil and stuff they spray on it. But the but the milk of God's Word is uncontaminated. It is unmixed. It's unadulterated. It's untainted by any man-made pollutant. It's inspired by God. It's without error. It's not defective due to any human mistakes. It's not defiled by the wisdom of man. It's not watered down by worldly philosophies. It's the pure Word of God. That's what we have when we, when we read and study the Bible. This is the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. I remember the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, remember, when they ate of the stew. 
And they said, oh man of God, there's death in this pot. Because the food they were eating was poisoned. And I think sadly, many of us feed our souls too often on the, the poisonous pot full of death that comes from the, wor- from the world. And yet Peter says, the Word of God is pure, it's life, it's health, it's blessing. Long for. I think that's such a good exhortation today because we live in a very impure world, don't we? We're surrounded by impure people, impure words, impure actions. We face and struggle with our own impure motives and our own impure desires that's in our own flesh. And almost every category of life is defiled by impurity. Our minds and our thoughts can become so cluttered with the impure things of this world that we need to regularly wash it out and flush it out with the pure milk of God's Word. We need to bring our minds that which is holy and good and true and fill our minds with that. I don't know about y'all, but at our house, we have in our air conditioning system, we have several filters that need to be cleaned out regularly. And those filters just collect all of the dust and the lint that's in the air. Of course, our house is always immaculately clean, you know, so it takes a long time for this to happen. But every filter collects all that crud. And when I pull that thing down, I mean, it's just choking out the filter. It is just full of it. And I take it outside, the garden hose, and I just, from the back side, I just spray out all this junk, all this dirt, all this crud that is filtered out. And you see this pile of it. Well, our mind becomes like that filter. And we're just bringing in all the filth and all the dirt of the atmosphere of the world in which we live. And our minds, like a filter, just cling and gather it all up and we become defiled and contaminated with it. And it happens continually. As you and I, I mean, everywhere you go, whatever you listen to, whatever you're reading other than for the Word of God, most of it is going to contaminate us in one way or another, it seems like. And so what we need to do is to wash all that stuff out. And Peter has told us that, that that's the ministry of the, of the pure milk of the Word of God. It can flush out all that bad thinking and bringing God's truth back into our minds. We need to filter it all out. We need to wash it out. Flush it out of our minds. And that's why we need to long for the pure milk of the Word of God. The second meaning of pure is just that it's without deceit. The Word of God is without deceit. There's no deception in the Word of God. It always tells you the truth. The truth about God. The truth about yourself. The truth about your sin. The truth about your need for Jesus Christ who alone can save you from your sin. It always tells us the truth. I love Psalm 119, verse 140. It says, Your Word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. We should love the Word of God because it is pure. 
and no other book or anything else that we listen to is pure like the Word of God. So what should be our hard attitude towards it? Well, in verse 2, we're to long for it. Long for it. Long for the pure milk of the Word. This word for longing implies an intense craving, a strong desire, a voracious appetite. You know, they've studied little babies and and what I have read about how some people evaluate the little baby and its intensity and longing to be fed when it's hungry, that the baby's hunger and its desire is so strong that if the baby could lift himself up, he would kill in order to get the milk. So babies are not those sweet little innocent little things that we think they are. They are little vipers and diapers. I mean, that's what they are. And mothers, every mother here this morning can thank God that when God makes a baby, they are small and they're weak and they're helpless. They're not six foot two and can bench press 500 pounds because your life would be in jeopardized and, and in danger every day. Babies are little, but they have a strong craving for milk. They know they need it. And their desire is strong. And while Peter is saying, have that same attitude toward the Word of God. The Word of God is our milk. The Word of God nourishes the inner man and supplies you with, with all the spiritual vitamins and minerals and protein that you need for a spiritually healthy soul. It's in the milk of the Word. Long for it. We need it daily because we need that soul nourishment every day just like we need physical nourishment every day. We need to feed our soul. And when we read the Word of God, we we need to do it regularly because so, so oftentimes we forget it. We read it and it's like it's gone. I don't remember anything from it. When we read the Word of God, so oftentimes it's not like etching it in stone in our hearts. It's more like writing it on sand. And the wind blows and just kind of smooths over the letters and the writing or the, the water rushes up and completely dissolves it away. We forget the Word of God. We need to continually be reading it. We, we need to long for it. And of course, this requires a commitment of time. Christians should be Make a commitment in your schedule to spend time regularly in the Word of God. When we long for the Scriptures, the Bible will operate powerfully on us. If I'm doing it just to check off a pious list that I need to, well, I need to read my Bible today. I'm going to read a verse. I'm going to read a paragraph. Don't be surprised that the Word of God doesn't change you. Because you're just doing it out of a habit. You're doing it out of tradition. No, long for it. Because you want to know Jesus Christ better. Long for it because you need the strength, the vitality from the Scriptures to sustain your soul. Long for it. And when you long for it, then the Spirit of God is is going to be blessing your soul more with the Word of God. But we need to long for it. You know, you can only satisfy a baby so long with a pacifier. 
And you can only satisfy your soul so long with a pacifier. Pacifier from all the other things of this world, the entertainment, all the distractions of this world. Not saying that all entertainment is wrong. But when that comes in like a pacifier and we begin to suck on it and we neglect our time in the Word of God or we make no time for the Word, then you're going to suffer as a result of it. Babies need milk more than they need to be entertained. And that's true of us as well. You know, it's kind of sad in the... You know, you've seen the third world countries and they braid out these little children that are starving and yet their tummies are so bloated. They're not bloated from fullness. They're bloated from emptiness. And I think sadly, too often times, many Christians run the risk of being puffed up and bloated because they're ingesting too much of the empty chaff of the world rather than the pure milk of the world. And so, yeah, we'll grow with that, but not in a good way. We need the Word. And by the way, it is your responsibility. Don't just rely on others to feed you. You need to learn to feed yourself. Because you're either going to long for the Word or you'll long for the world. You need to discipline yourself to spend time the purpose of that in verse 2 is so that you may grow in respect to salvation. So the goal of spending time in the Scriptures is to grow in our relationship to Jesus Christ and grow in our salvation, which would imply either growing in sanctification, the word salvation can refer to that, or to we're growing into our future salvation. Growing ultimately till we receive the full harvest of our salvation when Christ comes back. Either view would be would would work with this passage. This growth is important. In Peter's second letter, at the very end of chapter three, at the very end of this of that letter, the very last exhortation he gives his readers to to leave it ringing in their ears is grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter wants you and me to grow. And he wants us to grow in respect to our salvation, living for Jesus Christ through the means of longing for the pure milk of His Word. You can't grow without food. We can't grow without the Word. And the Word of God is so vital to our vitality as Christians that if you neglect it, you're going to wither, your fruit will be defective. That's why we need to long for the Word of God. That's why I love probably one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 1, where David basically is saying the same thing that Peter sang. He says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the, seat, stand in the, in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, this is where his longing is, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. That's his longing. 
He delights in it and He meditates in it often throughout the day. And look at the result. Look at the growth that will occur. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever He does, He prospers. And the very next verse says, Sadly, the wicked are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. So your life is either going to be like a tree that is firmly planted by streams of water. I mean, your your life will be nourished by the water, the milk of the Word of God. And you're going to be fruitful. It will yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf will not wither. It will stay green and vibrant and alive. Whatever He does, He prospers. Or, you'll be like the chaff, the outward dead husks of the grain that the wind just blows away. Those are your two choices. You're either going to be like the tree or you're going to be like the chaff. And it all comes back to your commitment and longing to be in the Word of God with the Holy Spirit's blessing upon the Word as you read. Those who are regular in the Word will be like a growing, healthy, fruitful tree. And we need again the Word of God for spiritual growth like we need physical food for physical growth. That's why Jesus said, quoting the Old Testament, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You need bread for physical health, but you need the Word of God for spiritual health. We need them both. So don't be a hearer of the Word only, but a doer. Long for the Word, but when you come to the Word, don't just come to it again just to read it and then close it and that's, that's done. Don't be a hearer only, but be a doer of the Word. Read the Word. Hear the Word ministered. And then respond in faith and obedience. Because if you don't do that, if you don't respond to the Word, you're not being changed. And I like to refer to the, the three R's of, of Bible reading. You need to read the Word, reflect on the Word, think about what you've just read in its context, and then respond to the Word. Read the Word, reflect on the Word, respond. Many people read the Word and they reflect on it, but they don't respond to it. And, and if you don't respond, you're not changed. You need to respond to it. Read it to be transformed. Read it to be changed. Don't be like those seven gaunt and ugly cows in Pharaoh's dream that ate up the seven fat cows, but afterward were just as ugly and gaunt as before. They ate the cows, but didn't benefit from it. They didn't gain weight didn't make them pretty. It didn't make them healthy. They were just as skinny and gaunt as before. And that's the way many Christians are that come to the Word of God. They come and they hear it. They eat the Word. It goes in their ears. 
but they're not benefited by it. They're just as spiritually ugly and gaunt as they were when they came in. Because they don't respond to the Word. They don't long for it. It's just, a, it's just something I need to do as a Christian. Don't be that way. Long for the Word of God. Come and eat it in faith to be transformed and changed so you can profit from the Word of God. The result of those who don't read and respond to the Word is that they will be little in faith, little in love, little in patience, little in humility and zeal for the Lord. The showers of the Word upon them will make no impression upon them. Their souls are more like concrete than soil. And the Word will just run off the concrete, but it won't penetrate. Peter says, long for it, embrace it, love it, eat it, consume it. Don't be like Eutychus, who could even fall asleep under the preaching of the Apostle Paul and fall out of the window and die. So he's exhorting them to long for the Word of God. If you're born again, you need to grow. And the way you grow is going to be through the Spirit of God ministering the Word of God to your, your mind, your heart, your soul. And then Peter closes in verse 3 with this little conditional statement. Long for the Word. Grow by it if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Conditional statement. Peter is thinking about Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Later on in chapter 3, he's going to quote a larger portion from Psalm 34, but he at least references it here. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Here he writes, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. As a conditional sentence for those who may be of interest, it's a first-class conditional sentence which normally assumes it to be true. It assumes the statement to be true. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, and I think you have, Peter is implying. But it still doesn't take out the conditional element of this phrase. In other words, Peter assumes that they have tasted the kindness of the Lord, but because it's an if, it raises the question, have you? Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? And Peter actually wants his readers to stop for a moment to reflect upon their own life, to think about their own souls, to see if in fact they have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Again, Peter thinks they have, but he wants them to confirm it in their own hearts through their own self-examination. Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? The word to taste is a metaphor for the initial phase of their conversion. We, they tasted the kindness of the Lord when they were converted. The Lord here is a commonly used word in the New Testament for Jesus Christ. So they have tasted the kindness of Jesus Christ when they came to saving faith in, in, in the Lord. They were convicted of their sin. 
They felt the, the, the guilt, the condemnation of their sin, and they heard the Gospel that Jesus Christ will save them if they but repent and put their faith in Him. And the Spirit of God regenerated them and they, they then wanted that blessing. They wanted that forgiveness. They wanted the gift of everlasting life. And they came to the Lord and they tasted the kindness of the Lord. The forgiveness, the salvation of Jesus Christ. And again, what Peter is encouraging them to do, I believe you have, but have you really? Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? Have you come to Jesus Christ and trusted Him alone to save you from all of your sins? It's not have your parents tasted the kindness of the Lord, kids. Peter's not saying have your parents. Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? He's not saying have your Christian friends tasted the kindness of the Lord, but have you? Tasted the Lord. Have you really realized your sin and tasted the sweetness of forgiveness, the hope of heaven that only Jesus Christ have you come to him in faith and tasted of his mercy, his goodness, his kindness, his love? And if you haven't, come and taste that the Lord is good. Come and so he's exhorting them at the end of this passage to put their faith in Christ if they haven't already, and to come and grow, grow spiritually by drinking freely and and fully of the milk of the word as a newborn babe. Come and feast your souls on Christ in the Word of God, and grow as a believer into maturity in Christ. Many need to add sweeteners to their coffee and tea to make it better. I'm kind of one of the hardcore guys. I just like it black. I know a lot of people won't drink it if it's not sweetened with something. Well, there's encouragement then because the Word of God, not only is it pure milk, it's very, very sweet to the taste. Psalm 119.103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. If your life is a bit sour and you need more sweetness in there, then come to the Word of God. It's like honey. But not only will it sweeten your life, it will also invigorate you. Just like Jonathan in the Old Testament when he was fighting the Philistines and, and he found honey in the field and he went and ate it in his his eyes brightened and he had more energy to fight the Philistines. But the rest of the Israelites didn't because Saul had put them under a, a very unwise and foolish oath not to eat anything till the evening time. So they ran out of energy and their, their defeat of the Philistines was less. But Jonathan tasted it. His eyes were brightened. He had the energy and he had a greater victory. And the Word of God is there to invigorate our souls with more energy and life and power if we will but come and long for it. Long for the pure milk of the Word of God because there is power in the Word to change you and to bless you. It's amazing when God speaks, there is omnipotence released 
Like in Genesis 1, when God created the heavens and the earth, God said, let there be light. And by His spoken Word, He created the heavens and the earth. The power in the Word of God. And when Christ stood at the tomb of Lazarus, and He said, Lazarus, come forth. There was power released. And Lazarus arose from the dead and came forth. He was alive because there's power in the Word of God. And that Word of God has now been written down for us in a book. The Word of God. And when we come to the Word and we're humble and we pray, oh God, I need a blessing. Oh Lord, I need to know You more. By Your Spirit, bless me. Feed me. Sweet my life with Your Word. And we humbly come before Him. The power of God's Word will be released in your life. And you'll see blessings come upon your soul. And you'll begin to walk with with the, the fruit of the Spirit, more of that, and more of the strength of Christ in your soul. But we must come to the milk of the Word to have the power released within our The milk will not bless you if you do not drink it. So pray for a deeper longing for the milk. Pray that the Spirit of God would draw you to it. And that when you read it and study it, that you would taste the sweetness and the power of the Word of God to help us grow. To grow in respect to our salvation. To grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's right there. It's waiting for us. So may God give us that longing to spend more time in the Word so that our growth in grace might be more evident to all of us. Let's close. Our Father, we want to thank You, Lord, for blessing us with the Word of God. And Lord, we do confess to You oftentimes, Lord, we do neglect it. We don't spend the time that we should, Lord, and we acknowledge that so often we are so easily distracted. But Lord, by Your Spirit, create both thirst in our hearts for the Word of God. Not in and of itself, but because we long to know You more, Lord Jesus. We long to walk more like You, be molded into Your image, to love You more, to serve You more. But it's by Your power, Lord, for we are weak. So Father, may Your Spirit stir up within us a greater longing for the Word, a greater desire to lay aside sin in our life that we might grow in our salvation and love for You. Help us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name.